There's only one authority on the Tennessee Titans, and that's the Tennessean. And there's only one show that's an authority, too, and you found it. This is Talkin' Titans. Hello, everybody. I'm Tommy Dees, sports director for the Tennessean, and you are... Eric Backrack, Titans beat writer for the Tennessean. And we're talking Titans. And we're talking about a team that won a football game in kind of the most unlikely yet fitting way manner. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about that game, just the crazy ending. Why don't you describe that, if, if, it, if it can even be described? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a mouthful as far as trying to wrap it up nicely. The last probably two minutes of that game took maybe 10 to 15 minutes to unfold. There was a total of three reversals by the by the officials uh they went back and looked at three plays all three were reversed in the titans favor austin eckler caught a 16 yard pass from philip rivers that was initially ruled a touchdown refs went back and looked at it It was correctly overturned right it was overturned so he didn't get in the end zone then the chargers hand off to melvin gordon that play was initially ruled a touchdown refs go and look at it and again was correctly overturned. Uh, right. And then there was a third play, and, and this was the the game sealer. Uh, the Chargers went to Philip, uh, excuse me, to Melvin Gordon again, handed Who it off had to him. Fumbled after hitting the ground on the previous play. Do I remember that right? I, I think that's right. It came right. loose. It came loose. But that was, that was clearly right. you know, yeah, after the play. Down. And uh, he, he lost the ball. Wesley Woodyard stripped it. Jarrell Casey recovered it in the end zone. Initially, that was de- called ruled down by contact, which would have given the, the Chargers another shot. I forget what down it was exactly. It was third down. Yeah, so they, right. they would have had another another play. But they went back, reviewed it again, ruled a fumble. Titans come up with it uh, in the end zone, and they win somehow 23-20 over the Chargers. Yeah, and um, there's there's some good and some bad in there for the Titans, but when you win in the NFL, it's good. A dub's a dub is, is what was being sent in the locker room afterward. Yeah, and by the grace of God. Right, right, and <laughs> Prov- that, that stuff Providence too. smiled upon them Yep, and all that. But yeah, it was a crazy sequence to end a game that, that pretty much you would think the worst-case scenario that, that's, that the Chargers would come out with would be playing overtime by kicking a field goal. Mm-hmm. And instead, they lose. It's the best case they score a touchdown. They right, win. exactly. You think or at the very least. Likely win. You're under 30 seconds, you know. Right. At the very least. I'm thinking, do they have another Music no City thing. Miracle play? You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, well, they would have had to have kicked off and, and done right. something crazy like that. Um, I did I did say in our little Teams chat before all of that unfolded that I said a silent prayer for, for no overtime, just for the sake of our deadline. So going along with the, the theme of uh, – looking upward for, for answers. I think uh, prayers were answered on that day. Yeah, I don't know that any – first of all, that, that had to do with more the the deadline for the right. print version of the Tennessean, but I don't <laughs> know that anybody wanted to see any more of that football anyway. Yeah, but, you know, this was a game that honestly, for, for however it ended, it, it felt like the Titans deserved to win it. You know, the defense was pretty Definitely. good. There was a couple of – there was one really long drive by the Chargers. It was like 14 plays, 94 yards. Aside from that, aside from – one blown coverage on a 41-yard touchdown pass late. The defense played well, and the offense, you know, really, number one, looked like it had any sort of punch, first of all, a week after they were shut out. Second of all, looked pretty pretty good under Ryan Tannehill, who threw for 312 yards, and that's obviously 
you know, you, you can't overstate how big a development that is for, for a Titans team that, you know, this year has had the defense, it's had the special teams, it was just missing anything from its offense. And if it's able to get that, you know, no team has scored more than 20 points against the Titans this year. So if they could hit 21 points. You're basically looking at a game. team that should, should, if they win three touchdowns, has a very good chance of right, winning. Right, exactly. Which is three touchdowns. It, it's not that high a bar for them to have to, you know, cross on a weekly basis. And, and with Ryan Tannehill, I think there's hope. I think there's, you know, cha- I, I think we should, you know, not expect what we saw out of Ryan Tannehill every week, what we saw this past week. I demand it every week now. Okay, I think that's your right. But I, I think 312 passing yards for him – you know, one I, interception that was not really his fault. Yeah, I mean, his, and I'm, his arm, I'm not a big. Oh, it's not the quarterback's fault. I mean, like if you throw a ball and say it's tipped, right? If it's tipped by a defender at the line of scrimmage, you didn't throw it high enough. Correct. Um, but this was not that. This yeah, was the a pressure got to him, and and he got hit. He got, he got hit, hit as, as he, he threw. threw it, and the ball went straight. And up. that was really his only blemish. And and, and I will. I don't. I don't hold that one against him. Yeah, and, and you, you look at his performance, and like very early to me, it was just evident that he was giving something that the, the to the Titans that they weren't getting with Marcus Mariota. And that was, you know, I, I think it was a play in the second quarter where Tannehill kind of dropped back, you know, the pressure was coming, but he stood in there, hunting the pocket, didn't panic, didn't, you know, look to escape or anything, kind of got hit as he threw and, and put a ball in a spot where Corey Davis had the best chance to catch it, but it was still contested, but it's completed. That play went for probably 15 yards. And, and those were just the types of throws that, you know, we never even saw attempted with Marcus Mariota under, under center. I really do think his confidence to some degree was was shot, you know, by the end of it all. And, and you know, Tannehill's coming in here with, with a fresh start on his career, you know, looking to make the most of it. And he's, uh, you know, from, from what we saw this past week, he's making, he's just making the throws that, you know, Marcus wasn't making. And, you know, you start to kind of look at the talent around him in a different way. You know, he's got Corey Davis, he's got A.J. Brown, he's got Derrick Henry behind him. You know, that offensive line looked better with Tannehill, you know, just the way he maneuvered the pocket, his pocket awareness. I think all of it was just a better recipe, all those ingredients with him at the center of it versus Marcus Mariota. Yeah, I think let's talk about some differences between the two now that we have at least one full game and part of another to 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 sure. compare with uh with Ryan Tannehill versus Marcus Mariota. Number one is I think there are less sacks, not just because of the line blocking better, but mm-hmm. because he's decisive and gets the ball out of his hand. And that can be for better or worse, but he right. he's gonna get it out of his hand quicker, which means he's not gonna be there to be sacked as often as sometimes Marcus some of Marcus's sacks anybody would have gotten sacked. Right. Some of them it was because he wouldn't let go of the football. For sure. You know, I think number one when it comes to fundamentals, if you just kind of you know, I've seen a bunch of uh analysts break down Tannehill's footwork and, and just a lot of his movements in the pocket and they're all, you know, fundamentally Wrong. sound. <laughs> yeah, well yeah, exactly. And and you know you kind of look at that versus Marcus, it's just an improvement there. With, yeah, with Marcus, they, they were there's a lot of wrong. There, yeah, the, the, there were passes I pointed out to you in the press box earlier this season, I and mean, not in preseason, I don't think, but early in the season, where where he plants his feet as if he's going to be throwing the ball kind of to the left flank, mm-hmm. and then he throws it to the right side, like across his body in a weird way. Like, yeah, he doesn't get any of his body behind every throw sometimes. Right, and and that was that's and been that's an, not pocket. That's just passing. Like, there's a certain way. You yeah, set that, your feet, and, and that's been an ongoing thing with him. Just footwork with with Marcus, and even even on some of the throws where Tannehill, 
you know, there was one, another one to Corey Davis. I was looking at that connection today specifically for a story and Tannehill rolls out to the left, you know, stay composed, stays composed. And as you mentioned, he, he really, he doesn't, you know, he's not throwing off his back foot or anything. He really gets behind it, zips one into Corey Davis, where again, that's the type of throw that we, we really didn't see this season with, with Marcus at quarterback. I, th- I think that's another thing at, in, at, in the press box at home games. I've mentioned to you several times, mm-hmm. he's throwing off the back foot, like without pressure, right? He's throwing off the back foot. And yep. that's a, even Brett Favre doesn't get away with throwing off the back foot for, for, for long. It's right. a, the ball either doesn't get there or it gets knocked down or it gets picked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going to your back to your point. Danny Hill does not that I've seen. I mean, he's he's leaning into the throw even if he gets hit. Yeah, and, and he looked really fundamentally sound this past week. And going again, going back to the sacks thing, you know, you looked at this was kind of prevalent, I think, throughout the season, but especially in the Broncos game where you know, I think the trust that Mariota had in his offensive line might have been, you know, rightfully so, not not 100% there. And so, you know, there's a clock in his head that's going off maybe sooner than he would like, and he evades the pocket maybe sooner than he has to, and, and sometimes even runs into sacks. We saw that at least a couple of times to me in the Broncos game. We didn't see that any of that um, with Ryan Tannehill. He, he stood in there as long as he had to, was, was sacked a couple of times, but you know, got rid of it, a couple others, and, and just did a good job of of hanging in there when he had to, getting rid of it when he had to. And just, again, the decisiveness was on point. I think that was the biggest thing for him was just being decisive. You know, even on those tough throws in those tight windows, you know, he, he zipped it in there. And for the most part, most of them, I think it was 23 for 29 passing, most of them found their way into the hands of a, a Titans receiver. So, you know, we just, we hadn't seen much of that at all. You know, again, I, I I go back through the first six weeks and try to think of, you know, any specific examples of, of Marcus really threading the needle or zipping one in there. And there's remember just, like two seam passes that were really nice. They're, they're few and far between. Yeah you, yeah. you can almost remember the specific ones. Right. Because there's so few. And, and, you know, this past I week, remember all Tanny Hills right now from one game. <laughs> right. But it, it seemed like every other, every third pass, you know, he really, put it between a couple of defenders, zipped it to his guy. And uh, again, that, that was just something that the Titans were, were missing completely. Uh, and it changes their offense. It changes the, the, the team and, and the outlook going forward, I think. Yeah, and the thing that, that Mariota would do that, that bothered me the most mm-hmm. is, is he it's just not the way you could play football at that level. He seemed to want to wait until the receiver was open right. and then throw the football mm-hmm. instead of throw it and trust that he will get open, or trust that if he doesn't separate, he'll still find a way to catch it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it falls incomplete, which Tannehill is more. I mean, I, I can't remember how many times we would watch Mariota in the pocket, and it's time to let go of the ball. The pocket's collapsing and everything. And, you know, he just wants to wait, and, and the guy breaks open. But if he thrown the ball before the guy made the break, then you've got a big play. Mm-hmm. Instead, he throws it after the guy breaks, and then he gets hit, and it gets broken up, or, or you know, it's not accurate because it flies high because he gets hit, or he's moving out, you know, not setting his feet right, or the defender gets there anyway mm-hmm. because you've waited too long. You have to anticipate, and you have to throw your guy open sometimes. That's not he th- he's a good back shoulder throw guy. I mm-hmm. think sometimes yep. that's about the only time I think he throws to a guy who's not already open. I'm looking at a, a highlight now of of Tannehill 
actually throwing a guy open. John U. Smith is covered going downfield. You know exactly the play you're talking yeah, he's, about. He's kind of going on a post and then Tannehill looks to his, his back shoulder, which is uncovered. And it's a, it's a perfect example of him finding something where there isn't something, you know, at least on the surface. So Tannehill gives them that. Um, and I think just in general, he gives this offense some hope because again, you've got, you've got the weapons around him seemingly, where you know they just weren't working with Marcus Mariota as, as the centerpiece of it all, but with maybe you know just a more pro style, fundamentally sound quarterback like Ryan Tannehill, maybe this offense is onto something here. Yeah, and and when you talk about some of the intangibles and dynamics that that go on, I don't know how you can be an effective leader. And I, and I hate to throw this out there, but if you're not decisive, mm-hmm. if your team is, if you're hesitant, how do you expect your team not to be hesitant? Mm-hmm. If you're the leader, right? I don't think Tanny Hill's hesitant. Mariota often was, and it was, you know, it's kind of funny in the locker room afterward because, you know, Mariota is such a a respected guy he's in that a locker good room. Guy. I'm he's, not a he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's respected. Teammates love him, but they were trying to find ways to say this offense is better with Tannehill without throwing Mariota in the bus. And you kind of just saw the wheels turning you guys trying to find, you know, the right, the right phrases, the right, right words to sort of articulate that without throwing their guy under the bus. And, you know, I think Corey Davis said something like, you know, there was a different aura and then he went back to, but I want to stress that it's, it's not just one guy. And so there was a lot of that, but no doubt this, this offense looks a lot different with Ryan Tannehill under center. And and then I want to throw in one more thing about Tannehill because I think we will see this. Uh, his history says we will see this. Part of the thing that makes him different from Mariota, part of the thing that we just talked about, about decisiveness, about throwing the ball into small windows. Mm-hmm. I saw him throwing the double coverage. Right. He's not hesitant about it, but he's a gunslinger. Mm-hmm. And I don't think really you've got a coach and a coaching staff that really wants a gunslinger. I don't know if that's something you can tamp down on and take that out of him and him still be the guy you want him to be. Mm-hmm. But he is much more assertive in, yeah, there he goes. He's There's there's a safety moving over, and, boy, that window, I can get it there. <laughs> I got an arm. I can get right, it there. And, he, and, if I, and I, if I get it near him, he'll catch it. Uh-huh. And sooner or later, you're probably – here's what, what I think you're, you're ultimately saying if you're the Titans mm-hmm. or if you're a Titans fan even is if you get, if you get Tannehill versus Mariota – you may have three good games closer to what we just saw, and then one really terrible with three interceptions. Right, those are going to come. Game, you know, three interceptions and four sacks or five sacks, and it's just, you know, are you willing to take that? Well, I think that's better than what you've been getting, honestly. Honestly, from an entertainment standpoint, I will take that yeah. a thousand times out of a thousand just because the offense was, was – we couldn't even watch it without, like, falling asleep the past few weeks before Tannehill. So I think that's part of it. They're not just gonna... waiting for the punter to come out and wake you up because he's the only <laughs> thing we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, he's he's really the MVP, and, and he could throw it too. But, uh, yeah, I agree. Clearly I... he's the better passer of the, the, the three. Yeah, I think his, his pass rating is, is right up Off there. Off the charts. Off the charts. Same with Kevin Byard, by the way, Off who the... threw a, a <laughs> touchdown pass last year. Yeah. The on the receiving end this year so, so they got options they had they do have some options they're not the Tannehill's not going to throw for 300 yards every single game there's going to be games where he's got those blemishes again I I really think he was blemish free aside from the one interception that we agree is not really entirely his fault yeah, he should have been you know you would like to have got him him to have gotten you in the end zone a couple of more times so you yeah. can come down to it and right. there were drives that that could have ended in the end zone that didn't and ended up right and they finally unleashed Cody Parkey they did do that, and he 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 did doink one, but it was he on. Went, a, well, doinked it the right way, though, didn't he? 
Uh, well, he missed one extra oh, point, right. yeah. the extra point, which fortunately for the Titans didn't come yeah. back to haunt them because you were thinking the entire time that it might could have. You know, I, I think uh, again, Tannehill gave this offense uh, the spark that Mike Vrabel spoke of in the week leading up to uh, the game itself, and uh, I think he can be that going forward. And again, just with everything else the Titans have, the defense, the punter, Derrick Henry, I think. You know, you don't need them to throw for 300 yards every single game to win. I think they can do other things to, to make that happen. So I think they're in good shape if, you know, if, if he stays at least relatively consistent to what he was this past week. Right. Well, let's let's talk about the other side of the ball, mm-hmm. which you just mentioned. And, and this was already, if not an elite, a very, very good defense. And, and they added another piece for this game that, mm-hmm. quite frankly, I didn't expect to see this soon. I didn't either. And... uh we're talking about Jeffrey Simmons, Jeffrey the first-round draft choice out of Mississippi State defensive lineman. 19th overall. That that fell to 19th in large part because of the injury. Teams didn't think, you know, the, the chatter leading up to the draft was that Jeffrey Simmons might not be ready at all in 2019. Here we are eight months after February uh, ACL surgery, one week after his first practices in the NFL. First, of, first time he was allowed to practice because right. of the, the designation they put on him. And he comes in, plays 21 snaps, and, and absolutely makes the most of if it. If you had told me he would have played, I would have put, I would have taken the under at six and a half snaps. Yeah, I thought that was going to be it like too. maybe just to get his feet wet. Right. 21 he, snaps, a lot of snaps. 21 of 64, so basically a third of the snaps. Uh, was the highest graded defender by pro football focus. You know, any measurement you want to look at, he came in and had, you know, rookie, not a rookie, was a significant impact. Four tackles, one sack, two tackles for a loss. Played a very big part on that goal line stand as far as just you, disruption. You don't you don't see, you don't always notice defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have to know, oh, look at him. He's the rookie who hasn't played yet to notice him. Right. He, he, moved, he moved people around. Mm-hmm. He didn't get moved around. Mm-hmm. He had a sack, which is easier to see. But he was clearly a force out there. He may he, – He's one of their best defensive linemen right now, and he's probably not 100%. And he's he's been practicing with the team for now less than two weeks. So, so I mean, take that for what it's worth. He's still got room to develop. And, you know, I, I still think, you know, looking at him next to Jarrell Casey, Jarrell Casey's a big dude, but he, he just doesn't have the pure size that Jeffrey Simmons is a monster. Yeah, there's, forget there's about other. the knee injury. If you want to line a bunch of those guys on defense up, all, you know, let's line all the Titans mm-hmm. defensive players defensive linemen right against the wall and you walk in let's you know put them put them in a t-shirt and and gym shorts and say pick out the first round draft pick. <laughs> yeah you're not gonna miss no on that are you no brainer gee i don't know yeah. boy it's it's pretty close you're if you get that one wrong you just don't need to watch football yeah yeah you, he is he looks like a beast he passes the eye test in every way and uh, again just the mo- most remarkable part of the whole thing was that it was eight months after acl surgery it was less than a week after he had officially, you know, began began practicing with the team. So you consider all of that and I, I think everybody sort of had the those expectations, not even about impact, but just about playing time. I thought it was gonna be, you know I would have lost every bet on how soon <laughs> yeah. would he be back, how many snaps right. would he play when he came back, even if that was a month from now. Right. And his first outing and would he have an impact? I w I w I'm oh for three. Mm-hmm. You look at tip, what tip of the cap to Jeffrey Simmons, because yeah. that tells you a lot that tells me more about two things. His motor, mm-hmm. when he gets in there, he plays. And his work ethic to get to the point that he could be out there. That's not – he's not out there because he said, well, I'll just sit down on my couch and wait until this feels better. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, 
we heard that from from Mike Vrabel, from you know the the assistant coaches, from Dean Pease, leading up to uh, his debut. You know, for for weeks and months now, just about his work ethic and how hard he was working to get back. And you know, we saw it often at practice with, with Mike Vrabel working on the side with Jeffrey Simmons one on one. So he had a good feel for where he was, and it, it really came down to Saturday when when Simmons and Vrabel met, and Simmons told. Vrabel that I'm ready to go. I'm confident. And that was really all Vrabel needed because he'd cleared every other hurdle. And it must be clear. He was medically cleared to practice. Right, he was exactly. Medically cleared to play. That wasn't a question. Right. He could do no more damage to but, the healed. It's just 100%. Was he 100%? Could he take the effort? Is, right. Where's, where's his conditioning at? Where's his mm-hmm. football level of conditioning at? If there's a higher ceiling than what we saw, wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and listen, the, the mental part of it is is a part of it, too, coming off an injury, a significant injury like that. You've got to be confident in the knee. It's got to be something that you're not thinking about when you're playing. And, and clearly, that's where he was by Saturday. And uh, by all accounts, you know, we saw it ourselves, just how good he was when he was finally out there. So, you know, it, it makes a really good defense. To me, a defense that is, is top five in the league, that's uh, where I'm going. Is, yeah. is without him, they were, like I said, I'm not 100% going to say elite, but one of the better, best defenses in the NFL. They, he's a force. I mean, he's he's going. You know, the thing that that plagued me when we talk about how good the Titans' defense is or isn't, mm-hmm. and I'm really talking about like the second half of last year, last mm-hmm. month and a half, or whatever of last year, and up to this point this year is, oh, they're really good defense, but there's a lot of bend but don't break in them. There, mm-hmm. were, there were times against Washington last year, which had, shouldn't have had any offense. There's been times against the right. Colts where they have these long 17-play drives mm-hmm. and you just don't get off the field. But maybe you give up three points because you bog them down or you only give up one drive like that. But those, dri- those drives against the Titans would drive you mad if you're a Titans fan because you need the ball back. Mm-hmm. You need to get that defense off the field. And you certainly don't need to give up points. You don't need to get pushed around. I'm not so sure. I think it's going to be a lot harder to have a long, sustained drive against this team with a guy like that on the defensive line. You put him next to four-time Pro Bowler Jarrell Casey. You know, how was, was a really good – I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a impactful he, he's player. He's been anchoring yeah. it by himself for a really yeah. good defense for a while now. You put those two together, you know, add in one of the – still, to me – one of the top secondaries in the league with Kevin Byard, Kenny Vaccaro, Logan mm-hmm. Ryan, Malcolm Butler. You know, Cameron Wake is, is healthy, and he's he's going to play 20-plus snaps most games. Harold Landry is still developing. I, I think the pieces now are there for undoubtedly, to me, a top-five defense. That I think this is an elite defense now, I really do. Yeah, I do too. I uh, hesitated because of those long drives. Right. That would be the, yeah, but what's going to happen when? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like those, you know, I'm not talking about – Somebody throwing three passes and getting down the field, and you know they've just got the right quarterback or the right hot. You know, I mean, no, I'm talking about people just kind of matriculating down the field. Mm-hmm. Great defenses don't allow you to do that, right? I don't think this defense is going to allow a lot of people to do. No, that. I think Jeffrey Simmons is just by himself so disruptive. He causes so much just on his own commotion. You need so much attention on him that doing that sort of thing where you're, you're knocking off 14 play drives, I think those are going to be so rare against this defense just because you throw him into the mix with with the defense that we just said you know is already um was already approaching eliteness even without him so um i i think he he really elevates this defense to, to an even further further place so we got a, a new quarterback and a better appearing offense and a, a new face on the defense which makes it even more formidable the titans they play again this week they do indeed 
against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who come to Nissan Stadium at noon on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? I think 27-20 Titans. I think, you know, they finally have some momentum. They've got the they've got the offense right now functioning, which which couldn't be said the, for the week before. And, you know, again, I, I think it goes back to defense. I think it goes back to punting with Brett Kern and special teams. Uh, I, I just think with with Jeffrey Simmons and with a, a functioning offense, every game on the schedule looks, you know, somewhat winnable. And, you know, the Buccaneers... We're not welcoming the Saints or anything. Right. But, you yeah. know, they've, they've got a high-scoring offense, but a defense that is also right. really high-scoring. Uh, it A weird stat, they're ranked... I think first in run defense, but last in pass defense, which hmm. speaks to the fact that you know they're they're just throwing right. all the time in games. They I think they allow like or they they allow probably thirty points a game, and they're averaging twenty eight points a game. So they're going into this, you know, looking for a high scoring affair, which is what the Titans never really get themselves into. Jameis Winston, the Bucks are coming off a bye, but before that, Winston threw five interceptions in their benched. week six game. They yeah. got benched and there was no Fitz magic over there waiting. Right, exactly. So if, if you're the Titans secondary, you're, you're looking at this Bucks offense, you're just sort of licking your chops. You, see, you talked about functioning. I think the Bucks are dysfunctional Yeah, offensively for sure and defensively. I don't think there's a lot there either. Right, your pick? Um, if I believe I had this, what, 24 to 10? Is, I, that, is that right? I think I had it a while ago. It might be. I could confirm it right now. Yeah, I'm going to let you do that because I, t- I turned that in earlier today. And you I, did. You actually said 18-14. 18-14. So yeah. I guess I'm going back to Titans football. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's, I one for one minute there. I had it like 24 to 10. I'm like, nah, <laughs> they just can't make things that easy. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I think me, you, and Gentry Estes, our columnist, all had the Buccaneers scoring 20 points or fewer, which would mean – that the Titans have done so eight straight games to start mm-hmm. the season, which is a franchise record. So, right. I mean, I don't think that's for, for as you know high scoring as the Buccaneers are and how much they want that to be the tempo of the game. The Titans have, as we just said, an elite defense, and I think they're the ones that are going to be sort of dictating the flow of this game. I think it's a low-scoring game, and uh, I think they uh, they cover. Yeah, and I'm, I'm basically saying somehow or other the Titans get into the end zone yet another week, right. um, which has not always been uh, something we could count on. So we'll see how our predictions turn out. That does it for this edition of Talking Titans. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, if you like what you hear, please drop us a review or a rating while you're at it. And for Eric Bacharach, I'm Tommy Dees, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Talking Titans hosts each Thursday at Tennessean.com. You can also subscribe to Talking Titans for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. Talking Titans is a production of the Tennessean.